0: So did you notice there was no horse? No horse in that story. <laughs> All right, Paul didn't get knocked off a horse. He saw a blinding flash of light. Uh, we get paintings of this moment that show him on a horse, and so we think there's a horse, but there's no horse. Anyway, so Paul, Saul, Paul, he was a very devout Pharisee. He came from a long line of followers, and if you were to ask Paul what he was doing, eliminating this rogue band of Jewish folk, if you asked him if that was the right thing to do, he'd say, oh yeah, yeah, I'm doing the right thing. The main reason that he rounded up people who were like the followers of the way is because they followed someone whom the law cursed, right? Jesus, I want to make something really clear at the outset. (laughs) Uh, This is another place where people can get all anti-Jewish. Don't do that. Um, This is Paul's conversion story as written by Luke decades after it happened. Um, uh, Just keep in mind that the folks who wrote the Gospels had reason to portray the followers of the way, the followers of Jesus, the way they did as put up against the Roman Empire. Um, and naturally the people who wrote the Gospels because they could write were of the elite. So just imagine what the stories of the wealthiest 1% would say about some of us today, okay? So just keep that in mind. Um, So anyway, so Paul is citing uh, Deuteronomy, thinking that, you know, Jesus is cursed and all that, because this this is why... Jesus was seen as cursed. If a criminal is executed and nailed to a wooden cross, a tree, they're cursed. Deuteronomy says, When someone is convicted of a crime, punishable by death, and is executed, and you hang him on a tree, his corpse must not remain all night upon the tree. You shall bury him the same day, for anyone hung on a tree is under God's curse. So, hung him on a tree, Paul thought he was cursed. Paul thought he was doing the right thing. So Paul thinks he's protecting his religion, right? These people are clearly outside the bounds and the rules of the religion, clearly making a mockery of God. By following this way, started by Jesus, people are blasphemers to Paul, Saul, Paul. He describes his activities in his letters to Galatians like this. You've heard no doubt that my earlier life in Judaism, I was violently persecuting the church of God and was trying to destroy it. I advanced in Judaism beyond many among my people of the same age, for I was more zealous for the traditions of my ancestors. Miroslav Vols writes that he likely belonged to a more radical wing of the Pharisaic movement, Willing to use violence out of a zeal for God. Do we have any of people like that nowadays using violence for zeal for God? I don't know. A celebrated Old Testament model for such of a zeal was Phineas, who by killing an apostate fellow Israelite and his foreign wife, averted God's wrath against Israel. You have to be really careful when you read these texts, because they can be interpreted to mean that we could also use violence against people... um, to avert God's wrath. It's not what they say in here, right? Um, this deed not only earned Phineas, his prosperity and a perpetual priesthood, but also as Psalm 106 puts it, was reckoned to him as righteousness. So if Paul the persecutor thought along these lines, he believed that God demanded strict punishment for unfaithfulness, and that the executioner of the punishment was considered righteous. So this is where Paul is coming from he was quite convinced that what he was doing wasn't only right, but righteous. And in fact, in his letter to the Philippians, he says that under the law, he was blameless. So here's Paul, Saul, quote, still breathing threats and murder on his way to Damascus. And suddenly a light flashed. He fell to the ground, blinded. And from that moment on, Some people base their spiritual experiences and others' spiritual experiences on how big and blinding and world-changing they are. A number of years ago, there was a biopic uh, on television uh, that was about the co-founders of the group Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, It's called My Name is Bill W. It's uh, YouTube. You can watch it probably on Prime for two bucks if you want to. James Woods played Bill Wilson and James Garner played his friend and co-founder, Dr. Bob Smith. The story traces the journey of Bill from hopeless drunk to the co-founder of one of the greatest spiritual movements of the 20th century. In this movie, they show Bill in a hospital bed, right, He's tried to quit drinking three or four times at this point. He's lost his job. He's nearly lost his wife. He's threatened suicide. In fact, at one point, he drags his mattress down on the floor, and he's going to jump from a third-story building onto the mattress because, you know, we alcoholics, we like to commit suicide, but we don't really want to (laughs) die, right? (laughs) So his life is falling apart, and then it happens. Bill has a huge spiritual experience, huge, and they depict this in the movie. Uh, in this biopic. Bill describes his experience like this in a talk that he gave in 1966 in Michigan. And again, the despair deepened until the last of this prideful obstinacy momentarily was apparently crushed out. And then like a child crying out in the dark, I said, if there is a father, if there is a God, show yourself. And the place lit up in a great glare, a wondrous white light, and I began to have images in the mind's eyes, so to speak, and One came in which I seemed to see myself standing on a mountain, and a great clean wind was blowing. And this blowing at first went around, and then it seemed to go through me. And then this ecstasy redoubled, and I found myself exclaiming, I am a free man, so this is the God of the preachers. And because we like big, shiny, flashy, exploding things, right? Fourth of July fireworks, right? This Damascus Road experience has become the standard by which we measure our spirituality and connection to God. Listen for it. Next time you're in a conversation with someone about their faith journey, listen to the way they describe it. I've been pretty connected to God all of my life, but I've never had a blinding flash of light or anything. No burning bushes. As if a steady relationship that builds slowly and faithfully over time is not enough. Theologian Joseph Howard calls it a faith inferiority complex, this subtle dismissal that unless we have our lives completely changed, noticeably and dramatically changed, then maybe our faith is not adequate. After the book Alcoholics Anonymous came out, people wrote to Bill concerned that they weren't going to stay sober because they had not had a comparable spiritual experience. So the group put an appendix in the back of the book explaining that most spiritual experiences are gradual and not fantastic, not explosive, not earth-shattering. Very few of us have big, bright flashes of light. Very few of us have huge spiritual experiences. Very few of us are knocked off of our metaphorical horse. In fact, most of us aren't like Paul at all. Most of us are like his friend. This is the fellow who's just going along his daily life, maintaining a steady spiritual life, and when God says, here I am, God's, Ananias says, here I am, when God calls. Unlike Paul, who's like, who is this? Ananias knows God's voice. And so he goes, not without a little hesitation. You know, I mean, you know, we can be faithful and still be a little hesitant sometimes. Are you sure about this? Because this Saul fellow, he has done some terrible, terrible things. I mean, look at what he's done to the people who follow you. But he goes, right? He goes. Now, the text doesn't give us much of a hint about his personal life. So all I have to base my next statements on are those who are people that I know respond to God's call when it seems like God has gone a little loopy, right? Ananias knows God. Maybe he keeps a daily practice of prayer. Perhaps he prays some of Psalm 40, right? I delight to do your will, O God. Your laws are within my heart. Without somebody like him, a steady, faithful, day-in, day-out follower of God, there would be no Paul. Where would some of us be without the presence of those who are steady, who are faithful day in, day out, those who demonstrate God's work through them and in their actions every day? And the story tells us something else, too. We cannot do this God thing alone. We need to be in a community. Paul needed Ananias. People needed the people in community The text tells us that for several days he was with the disciples. What the story of Paul and Ananias show us is that God will use whoever God chooses to bring God's message to people that need to hear it in a way that they will hear it. Even the most unlikely of people. That's the funny thing about God. All of us have something to offer. All of us have a way to reach out to somebody else. Valuing some experiences over others only serves to diminish our understanding of the multitude of ways that God works in the world. Those of us who think that worship should be more controlled and measured miss out on the rousing excitement of full-body worship. I am one of those people. I will every once in a while go to some churches in Tulsa with people who praise with their entire bodies. I cannot do that. I wish I could, right? And the more energetic of us miss out on the still, meditative, quiet voice of God. God's kingdom is expansive love. There are no limits to the way that God might reach us, no limits to the ways that God can get to us in our experiences, our past successes, and our past failures to show love and offer grace. Paul, murderer of God's people, is sent to share the good news of God's love and God's grace. Bill, hopeless, helpless alcoholic, is the one that God gives the secret of sobriety to. And neither of them did it alone. Neither of them could do it alone. In fact, next to the power and the presence of God, the single most important ingredient was community. William Mule says that the roads to Christian faith are as varied as the people who profess it. And that's why it is so important that we share our stories, share our experiences with and about God. So let's share our stories of God's grace in our lives, not to compare, not to see who's had the biggest, loudest, most memorable experience, not to judge our journey or the journey of our fellow travelers, but to know grace and love and acceptance and forgiveness in ways that would have never occurred to us before. Amen.